for the sake of unity in Christ. You see, this chapter addresses both the weak and the strong in the Roman church. If you remember, the weak were those uh, Christians, Jewish Christians primarily, who were practicing Jewish customs and laws. The strong were those who rightly had put the Jewish and custom laws aside because Jesus himself told them that. They were in the right. But this issue was a very, very serious one for Jewish believers. The convictions that they had ran very deep and they practiced these customs. Imagine for a minute just how difficult this would have been for a Jewish Christian having been raised in a good Jewish home. I struggle with an analogy for us, but maybe it could have been something like us having church instead of on Sunday morning on Monday night. Think about that. If, if we came in here and said, we're going to start having church worship service on Monday night, how traumatic that would be for some people. This is maybe a poor analogy of what they were going through. But being strong, he tells us, is not about being right. And being weak is not about being wrong. We are all both weak and strong in the way we practice. Verses 13 through 23 focus almost exclusively on the strong. Now, what are some examples of this? Dale mentioned some last week. I'll mention a few of those and maybe add a few of it more. But think about the, the issues we struggle with that we disagree with, what he called disputable issues. Our political differences, that's an easy one. Parenting style differences. Kids' schooling preferences. Our dress. Our music choices our alcohol usage, our teaching and preaching style differences, clapping in church. <laughs> and the list goes on and on and on, really. See, Paul was not primarily concerned about these specific issues. He was most concerned with the peace and the health of the church. And he warns us that any of these lesser disputes can actually destroy the work of God. To keep the church focused on these important things, Paul gives us five warnings and two exhortations. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The first warning is that we should never put an obstacle in the way of another's spiritual progress. You see, the strong were looking down their noses at the weak, weren't they? They had this misinformed piety that they had to observe all these customs, and, uh, and the strong said, that's not right. And after all, they were right, weren't they? And being right feels really good, doesn't it? <laughs> However, in their rightness, they put up their own smokescreen around their own sins. Some of us, us are so focused on being right that we can often be uncaring about the opinions of others. We need to train ourselves to care about their opinions, especially, especially if we disagree with them. This is loving them, even if they are wrong. In this verse, Paul commands us to decide never to cause others to stumble. Now, when we decide something, we take time to change our behavior, don't we? Then in verse 22, this takes the form of deciding, deciding takes the form of keeping our rightness in these lesser issues to ourselves for the sake of others' spiritual well-being. 
You see, not placing an obstacle in the way of our brothers and sisters implies that we need to lay down stepping stones for them by our own example of holy living and by our words of encouragement to them. So let me ask you, as I ask me, are we stepping stones for those around us, for others to walk forward by, or are we stumbling blocks? Warning number two, look at verse, verses 14 and 15. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. <clears throat> Warning number two is never pressure other believers to violate their own consciences. Never pressure other believers to violate their own consciences. Paul acknowledges that Christian freedom from the Jewish laws uh, was right, but he places the individual conscience above that issue. In other words, Paul's concern was that the conscience not be damaged, that the strong should lead, weak, lead gently. An illustration of this was a number of years ago, uh, Dr. Weldon and, and Connie came to our house to discuss with us the various education options for children. And after they went through their, uh, their experience in the, in the different options, they, they used homeschooling, private school, and public school. After discussing those experiences in their own life, they ended with the counsel to us, young parents at the time, to respect and to support each other's decisions to listen and respect and support each other's decisions. See, this is the loving path, all right? We can get divisive over these issues, but we're to listen and to, love and to respect each other's decisions. Strong opinions like these need to be held up to the love test. Paul's saying that it's okay to believe something strongly, but to assert ourselves in such a way that we interfere with another's conscience can be damaging. And looking at verse 23, we're all different. Well, let me just read that real quick. He says, uh, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We're all at different places in our faith. Some of us are strong and need to defer in our right convictions for the sake of others. If we unlovingly continue to demand rightness, we can cause others to doubt their convictions and even to sin. Consider for a moment the question, how does the health of someone else's conscience really matter to you? I'm going to ask it again. How does the health of someone else's conscience really matter to you? Do you even think about that? I know that I do. Quite a challenge. Third warning. Look at verse 15. A, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. If our actions are grieving others, then we're not showing love. We need to never forget that love is the priority for all of our interactions. If our freedoms offend others, we must temporarily, temporarily put our freedoms aside. Who do we care about most? Are we ready to give up our rightness? For the sake of others' spiritual well-being? Well, this is how we practice being the living sacrifice kind of Christians. So how do we find a path forward? You might be thinking that 
like I did, that this all seems so hard. Well, we begin by contemplating and considering the Lord Jesus. He willingly gave up his rights, didn't he, by coming to the world as a man and living according to his law and then dying as a righteous man for the unrighteous. Think about that. Because of this, we should never destroy a weaker brother for whom Christ died. Rather, we must love him. And we love him by denying ourselves the rights that we have that offend him. Warning number six, look at uh, verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. This verse tells us that we should never give the world an occasion to slander the people of God. There's a story of, a, of an evangelist who was working in the inner city of India, and uh, this evangelist was meeting with an agnostic woman in a coffee shop, and after exchanging pleasantries and learning a little bit about each other's lives, uh, the evangelist began to share the gospel with this woman. And the woman immediately said, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with that, <laughs> putting up the barriers. And so the evangelist was a little puzzled. He'd really never seen quite a rejection of that uh, uh, magnitude in his, in his work. So he kind of probed a little bit deeper and he said, you know, why would you reject this offhand so much without even hearing it? And he said, well, she, she did, she opened up to him and said, well, I live in an apartment complex and above me are, are two Christian missionaries, families. And every time I come home from, from work every night, I hear these families fighting with one another. You see, the world expects something different from the way we Christians conduct ourselves. Warning number five, verses 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Don't major on the minors. Let's major on the majors. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not about how we dress. It's not about how we school our children. It's not about what type of music we prefer. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit. When we focus our efforts on living righteously, on being peacemakers, while resting in the joy of the spirit of Christ, then we are living as holy and acceptable sacrifices before God. By seeking these kingdom traits rather than the trivial matters or the minor squabbles that so often consume us, we are actually approved by others who are watching. The Greek sense of that word approved says, another way it can be rendered is proven genuine. So if you claim to be a Christian and you're acting in a certain way, then you can be proven genuine by how you treat others in this way, it's telling us. So these traits of righteousness, peace, and joy, these are, these are the major things that we should focus on. Now having given, given us these five warnings, Paul gives us two essential exhortations with them. And I just read that verse, but I'll read it again. Verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul exhorts us to, pr to pursue, that means to strive after, that which makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. What is peace? Most people in this room probably know one Hebrew word. 
That word is shalom. Shalom in Hebrew means peace. <laughs> it was used in many ways, particularly in the context of the people of God. The Bible has a lot to say about peace, and it also has a lot to say about peace's fruit, which is unity in the people of God. A key measure of the unity in our church, in every church, is our willingness to set ourselves aside for one another's good. So how are you willing to do that today? How am I willing to do that today? You know, this might mean stepping out of your comfort zone to reach out to someone you don't agree with. Maybe there's a Republican near you, or maybe there's a Democrat near you. Maybe there's a homeschooler near you. Maybe there's a public schooler near you. You don't agree with these people, but we need to reach out to them. Maybe God's calling you to reach out to somebody you don't even like. And we're talking about the people of God here. Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So let me ask you, does our desire to pursue the shalom of God's people surpass our own drive to always be right and then to demand our rights? Jesus makes peacemaking an essential quality of the family of God. Pursuing this gospel peace with each other forms a foundation for, for Paul's second exhortation, which is mutual upbuilding. A very common metaphor used by Paul in his letters is the metaphor of building. Listen for all the building references in this Ephesians chapter 2 passage. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice also the direction in which the building is being built. With Jesus is the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets completing the foundation. We saints are building on top of them, aren't we? The trajectory of the structure is up. It's toward God. We are exhorted to heartily pursue this upward trajectory with one another. So I ask you again, are you a builder or are you a demolisher? God tells us that bitter words and long-held animosities about trivial matters and even failing to encourage one another can destroy the work of God. According to Ephesians, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that, may, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words need to reflect the grace of the gospel truth to one another. This, this is how mutual upbuilding really works. This is how we live as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable as our service of worship. You see, God through the Apostle Paul has given us a special gift with, this last with these last chapters of Romans. He's given us a kind of proving ground for living out our faith in real life, hasn't he? Without the challenge to us in Romans chapter 14, it might be like receiving a bicycle for the first time with no instructions or experience on how to ride it. But God even goes way further than that. Not only does he give us the instructions in how to live out our faith, but he also gives us the motivation 
and the power to do it. In essence, he gives us legs to pedal the bike. The first 11 chapters of Romans, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul moves us from the place of a failure to meet God's holy requirements. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He takes us through to the work of Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then he demands a response. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Finally, he ends with a song of worship. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The content of these 11 chapters is the very basis of our faith lived out. It is only, only as we continually dwell in faith on the glorious, glorious truths of chapters 1 through 11 that we're going to be able to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. It is only by regularly reminding ourselves of the love that God first had for us that we will be strengthened in our faith enough to even be peacemakers. His love for us, you see, is the mortar that secures the work of our upbuilding and holds together the living stones of his new temple. God has blessed us first with his love, and then he has blessed us again with this kingdom-building work of peacemaking and upbuilding. So as we come to the table today, ask God to help us know the great lengths that God has gone to have a relationship with us. Contemplate that he loved us even when we hated him. And finally, remember how we are one in his body now. We must decide anew today to put our rights aside and to seek the peace and mutual upbuilding of each other. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you've given us the indicative truths of the first 11 chapters of Romans. We can know, Lord, that you have saved us, you have loved us, you have called us. And now, Lord, we respond by worshiping you with our entire existence is living sacrifices. Lord, give us the remembrance, give us the power to worship you in this way as peacemakers and as mutual upbuilders towards each other today. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.